one of the most delightful of American poets, has returned to the scene of his crime once more. The reading of poetry and the writing with Lawrence Ferlanghetti. We know a very familiar name during the 60s, and yet all the time he himself has been observing and growing. And his most recent work is called Over All the Obscene Boundaries, and the European poems that deal, in a sense, with his return after long absences to certain cities in Europe, to Paris, to Milan, and of this more. Well, he's speaking, rather, reading poetry and holding forth tonight at the Poetry Center at the School of the Art Institute, that's the Rublev Auditorium, as tonight at 8 o'clock. And it's quite an experience seeing Lawrence Ferlinghetti in action as well as hearing him offering poetry and all sorts of reflections. And I thought, to open the program, this is about your third appearance on this program, and lots happened during all these years of our first becoming acquainted with you, some 25 years ago at least. I thought perhaps, oh, more than that, I thought perhaps uh, you're reading a poem that uh, I find particularly delightful, and then we'll hear Bob Darrow, who's a performer and a singer, doing that same poem with a jazz background, because jazz, I know, plays a role in your life with the poetry. So, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, why don't you take off? This is that eternal dog that I used to have. I was hearing two different interpretations we were of this poem. Lawrence Ferlinghetti, the poet himself reading it, and the young performer, not young anymore now, Bob Darrow. Jazz, of course, plays a role in all your writing, mm -hmm. does it not? Right. So <laughs> it makes the poetry go on a roll when you add the jazz. I'm thinking about your new book, you know, the, the book that's most celebrated is The Coney Island of the Mind, the one mm -hmm. you wrote when some 25 years ago or something. Yeah, it's uh, close to a million copies in print now around the world. Now, that's when you started. If, this, if we go back a moment, the Beat Movement, San Francisco, the City Lights Bookstore, yours. Yeah, but I never was a Beat. I got a, a, uh, associated with the Beat writers by publishing them. When they were in New York around Columbia University or Times Square uh, but hanging you were out, period. I, I was in Paris working on a doctorate at the Sorbonne, living in a French family. I never heard of these guys. So we come to your most recent collection, Over All the Obscene Boundaries, that deals with your return to Paris and other European cities. Mm -hmm. Could you, perhaps a background... Yeah, well, I grew up in, uh, well, I spent, I spoke French before English. I, I was taken from uh, my uh, cradle in New York about two weeks after I was born with a French aunt, and I lived in France for about the first six or seven years of my life before going to New York. So then it was logical for me to go back there, sort of like a second home. After the Second World War, I went to the Sorbonne, uh, got a doctorate there, and uh, I was... Uh, Completely straight. I wasn't one of these dope-smoking, uh, hallucinating beatniks. I was, uh, <laughs> and I was politically illiterate too. Uh, I'd been in the Second World War in the Navy, and uh, I remember I had a girlfriend who was the uh, first woman to graduate from Columbia Law School at the end of the Second World War, and uh, I used to visit her in the village. She had a brother who was a communist, and I used to down in the village. I went into their house and. I, Look on the table, I see these strange magazines like The Nation, The New Republic, uh, The uh, Masses and Mainstream. What's that? I never heard of these things. And uh, I was in my Navy uniform, Navy officer's uniform, 
and I couldn't imagine why her brother gave me such a cold reception. That's how naive I was politically, or illiterate, or ignorant. And uh, but then uh, it's only when I got to San Francisco in the uh, early 1950s and I came under the influence of Kenneth Rexroth, that great iconoclast and uh, libertarian anarchist, that I began to get a political education uh, in the tradition of the... So that's the beginning then for, of the Lawrence oh, yeah. Furman Getty that we know. I think since you returned, you went back to Europe, Paris, and there's uh, Brussels, Amsterdam, Milan, this is how long ago? When was when you returned? Uh, well, uh, this book, uh, overall the obscene boundaries, which New Directions published about two years ago, now was uh, the, the product of a, uh, the result of several trips to Europe in the in the seventies, mostly, and in the early eighties. And uh, well, suppose you read from the most recent one, and you'll be doing this, no doubt, some of this tonight. No, tonight, yeah. I suppose, mm -hmm. will be a compote of an uh, awful lot of stuff yeah. that you'll be doing early and most recent. Well, what should we start with? This is from uh, the New Directions published, uh, European Poems and Transitions, yeah. over all the obscene boundaries. Uh, this is uh, number one in uh, Paris Transformations. I thought a little piaf to sort of dot your poem there. It's a return, then. It's almost a, re a return of an almost native. It's, it's, it's very strange. My reaction to Piaf at this stage, it sounds like a Paris that uh, doesn't exist anymore. Might as well have been back in the 16th century. But Paris is so different today. In what way? Well, I don't know. It's just, uh, that's all gone. Uh, the whole Piaf feeling is gone. And uh, we she know even seems that. like a, a romantic at this point, even though she was a, rea a realist. You know, I was thinking, as you say, that we know there have been changes, of course, uh, politically and not for the better, uh, in France particularly. But the changes, you notice, I, I was thinking about 68, because we think of 1968 as quite a remarkable mm -hmm. year for the young, the world over. And in Paris, the kids there during all the demos had that slogan. Yeah, I was there then. You were there. What was that slogan? Uh, L'imagination au pouvoir. Uh, yeah. Power to the imagination. The power to the imagination. Yeah, that was it. Uh, and it was very parallel to some of the slogans in this country. In fact, uh, I'm writing a novel now about uh, the background of it is, it's a love story, uh, and the background is the 68 student revolution in Paris. And yeah. I've got all those slogans in there. Some of them, they, they even had some of the American slogans like Make Love Not War were uh, among the graffiti at the Sorbonne. No, it's sort of mixed feelings, then, you had yeah. in the return. Oh, yeah. But, uh, is, as, as I know this is a collection of several years, uh, the, the New Directions publication of over all the obscene boundaries. It's called European Poems and Transitions. Transition, mm -hmm. I suppose, is the key word here, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, uh, the, the way I see... Europe today, uh, compared to the way I used to see it, uh, and uh, there's a poem in here, uh, uh, when I'm actually I'm, it's in transition between France and Italy when I'm taking the plane. Uh, this is a plan of the center of Paris, a plan du centre de Paris, that, uh, a, a vol d'oiseau, that is uh, the famous map of Paris seen from, the, from a bird's point of view. Yeah, <laughs> as you read it, it's moving in a crazy way. It's more than nostalgia. You use the phrase wordless hungers in there. 
because the, the change has been so sharpened, has it not? And somewhat painful, too, I suppose. The change. As you bring forth, you offer the various In myself, I don't find it, I don't want to sound like self-satisfied with myself, but uh, I don't find the change to my present age painful. I, I uh, feel much younger than I did back, oh, I don't mean uh, back in you those painful. days. <laughs> no, I, that's the last thing I, I'd say, because you obviously <laughs> never, because you, you are graceful in what you do. I'm talking about the change in a city, in a society, in a place, in something, and well, let's yeah, continue with so that. Let's pick it up after this message. We'll resume with Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Pick up on this theme of change. Uh, tonight, at the Poetry Center of the School of the Art Institute, that's the Rubloff Auditorium, that's at 8 o'clock tonight, will be his offerings. As you can see, he'll be free-wheeling in the readings of poetry, offerings, and, of course, comments as well after this well, message. Resuming with Lawrence Ferlinghetti, you were saying about Paris changed. Well, Paris has changed, uh, like uh, being having been raped, like a woman having been raped, and in this case, the automobile is the masculine violator, uh, the same as in all the cities of the world. Uh, but Paris being particularly feminine, it's the automobile that seems to have, uh, ruin the city more than anything. But in other words, Paris has changed so that compared to 1968, the days of the student revolution, uh, the atmosphere in France is so different now. You'd never know that revolution had happened. Uh, it's just um, what's much worse than in the United States as far as the complacency of the students and of the writers and artists go. I think in this country, the complacency of the students has been overemphasized, whereas the writers... And visual artists in this country are completely complacent these days. Seems to me they're in a deep dream. Uh, this apolitical uh, uh, deep dream, uh, which uh, may be uh, the final result of television brainwash or whatever it is, it's as if this is gestation period now, waiting period where the poets and artists and writers are not saying anything. How long is it since a major American painter has made any important? Statement. You, you're saying, you think back to the students for the moment. You see, you think it's been overemphasized. Yeah, it's been overemphasized. The complacency. It's, it's, why blame it just on them? Yeah. Look at all the, all the established writers and artists in this country. How much are they saying about anything? <laughs> I you're mean, how many of them are um, objecting to Reagan's uh, uh, a new speak or double think on the subject of Nicaragua? I mean, it, it seems to me Reagan has been misleading and misinforming the people of the United States as if he had been there and knew that everything he said about Nicaragua being a repressive state and the Sandinistas being a big monolithic communist red evil were, were the truth. I mean, how does he know? He hasn't been there, but not that he has to go there in person, but nevertheless, uh, if you read the facts of the case, he's distorting the truth. And... Uh, Lawrence I don't know Ferlinghetti. You, I didn't think you want to get on Nicaragua. No, right I was now, thinking you. One thing about you, there's no point even trying to, shall we say, temper what he says, because you are. You've always said this. You've always spoken out, whether it be in the '50s, '60s, or now. And so, if we could come back to the the collections, because mm -hmm. it's all related anyway. Over all the obscene boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, before we leave Paris, there are a few more. You're going to want other oh, cities, sure. and then he. There's several of these. How would you describe these poems? Some are part of 
longer segments and some are independent themselves. Well, a lot of them are small snapshot epiphanies. Of, Snapshots, yeah. A snapshot epiphanies of uh, passing scenes in Paris or some are longer uh, personal situations. Let me, let me try. Can I try one of yeah, your poems? Yeah, go ahead. By yeah, Bob means. Darrow doing Dog to Jazz. This is Return to Paris with Pissarro, this one. I thought I'd slip out a bit of Yvette Gilbert then. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because that came about that that time. Yes. And also, not many people I like to hear reading my poetry, but you sounded great. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, your poetry is easy to read because there's a, for me, it's easy to, easier than others to read because it has an idiomatic quality, too. Yeah. I, w it, I wanted to say that I claim to be distantly related or be, I claim to be a collateral descendant of Camille Pissarro through my mother's family, which was a Sephardic family from, uh, came from Portugal to the Virgin Islands where Pissarro was in the same Sephardic Jewish community in the 19th century before he migrated to Paris. So that's how that poem happened to come about. Oh, there's a connection. Uh, yeah. So your aunt, you say is your, your French aunt took yeah. you back to Paris when you were two yeah, weeks old. I, yeah. So and so that's part of your... Well, the first six years of your life were there, so of course that plays a role. So there's one, since we talk of music, I always think of music, you know, connection mm -hmm. with your poetry here and there, whether it be Piaf's song or Gilbert. And you mentioned the Place Saint-Sulpice, too, and somewhere along the line, the cathedral comes into being, and naturally we think of Marcel well, Dupre. It's a big old church there. It's yeah. A, I don't know, it's Romanesque, but it's a ponder. It has these ponderous towers. And it's a, it's a haunted place, that uh, Place Saint-Sulpice. Strange place. <laughs> it's it's terrific. Uh, still similar. A bell tolls the mad idea of a Christian society, and there's someone at the organ wildly uh -huh. playing, in this case, to pray. But Bach fugue. Uh -huh. But it's wild, big, bigly yeah, yeah. played. I think I stole that phrase from Bertrand Russell, uh, a mad idea of a... Uh, uh, the idea of a Christian society was a book of his... So, again, back to this poem and, and the language used, and it's this crazy, I think, wonderful juxtaposition of, like, you have a French phrase, and then you have, and so, place uh, Saint-Sulpice le soir, and he's a fat dame in a plain apron, stands at the bar with a crutch at the back of Café de la Marie du Sixième, and you mix the two, which I like, the admixture of language, but not simply of language, but of idiomatic language. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a, some of the poems are successful doing that, where there's a mixture of French and English uh, in the same poem. As you're wondering, tonight, you're offering your readings and your talkings tonight at the Poetry Center of the School of the Honesty, right. 8 o'clock. That'll be quite a... Quite a gathering, I think, and quite a performance. The Art Institute. Well, should I do this, um, The Generals? Oh, there's one I like very much. You, you knew I'd like that one, didn't you? There's one here. And what page is that? 46. And you called, you have a name, you have a subtitle for oh, that. Oh, yeah, an, A Naive Dream. A Naive Dream. This is one, well, I, I kind of speak, it speaks for itself. I thought the little children, the little drummer boy, to follow the meeting of the two yeah. generals. Who, they, they left their statues, the two generals did. Mm -hmm. There are the two statues of yeah. Bush and Washington there. Mm -hmm. Now, who but 
were you not here reading this, I know this, anybody reading would know it's a Ferlinghetti poem. Who else could say, the French general kisses the American general on both cheeks, his Marshal Foch mustache comes off and remains on the cheek of the American. And you add, the acid rain stops falling. But it's got to be Ferlinghetti, no one else. Well, walking down the street, uh, I naturally get these antic visions sometimes. <laughs> that's, now, that's the phrase you hit, antic visions. And mm -hmm. the word antic is it. Mm -hmm. so, throughout, you, you see there's a clownish quality, and you capture oh, the yeah. clownish quality of much of the behavior today. It's a, uh, it's a Charlie Chaplin influence. That's why City Lights, bookstores named City Lights. So we named it after Chaplin. Did you do that? Oh, That's sure. it. <laughs> Greatest picture ever made. So he's possibly. the biggest influence on me, I guess. So City Lights, so there's a Chaplin-esque quality. Now we oh, got yeah. the Lawrence Ferlinghetti. And that's no doubt will be caught tonight at the Art Institute. At the well, then this, uh, After this pause, we'll resume with more okay. Ferlinghetti now wandering, leaving Paris to other parts of Europe. We resume with Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who at this moment didn't know we were back on the air. I like to do this, go back and yeah. forth. Well, uh, I've arrived in Milan now from France. This is a, a telephone call. Yeah, it's uh, a, a young poet that wanted me to publish your book and called me up from Belgrade. <laughs> but a white bird, who is that? Uh, that well, it's a, a Romanian Magritte, marvelous Magritte painting. That no, that, a, I think of that bird. You know, the, the, the Romanian sculptor. Oh. You know? Um, no. Brancusi. Oh, yeah. Isn't he Romanian? Sure. Yeah. A so. great white bird flying mm. straight over, as the dove might make yeah. it after all, over all the obscene boundaries. Now I get it. Mm -hmm. Over all the obscene boundaries mm -hmm. that separate one people from another through something yeah. arbitrary called I mean, national nationalism. Uh, nationalism yeah. is still the idiotic superstition that will blow up the world, right? Even Nicaragua, I found they're very nationalistic. So uh, that's the. Uh, those are the obscene boundaries you're talking. You know, about. to get a, a little uh, lighter touch, uh, to get the more antic view of the world again. Uh, the next poem is uh, also in Milan, the Ristorante Vittoria, in this restaurant. Uh, How could there be Italian talk, no matter what it is, without music? <laughs> but I'm thinking, as you're listening, this is a funny scene. You're listening, you're whispering, what are they talking about, these guys? It's got to have something to do with the CIA or something else. But then also, as you would be James Bond or something, you got to watch out how you eat, because if you eat with your fork in your right hand, mm -hmm. that would tip you off. Yeah, I remember when I was, after I'd been several years in France as a student, after the Second World War, I, I uh, was always trying to pass as French. So that's one thing I was always sure I d didn't do in the restaurant, change my <laughs> fork back to the right hand. I want to try one uh, Ferlinghetti poem. Uh, th there are many uh, Roman poems, is Canti Romani, but this is one, the first one. And yep. this is your coming to Rome. Maybe, can I try this Go one? Go ahead. I like that one. Beautiful. So there's the antic. I really like aspect the way you write, read that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I figure you're flying, so I'll fly too. And, and this is the beginning of a long series of poems called uh, Roman Songs. And we continue with more of your uh, Italian adventures. Well, you got to throw the Respighi in here. Oh, there's a Respighi. The Pines of Rome comes in here. Oh, yeah, somewhere along the Appian Way. Now, there. Uh, you want to try that one? Yeah. 
So we had to have Pines Arome there. We had to have Respighi's Pines Arome there. I was thinking you described the little kids playing soldiers in the streets. I think of all those post-World War Italian movies, those called neorealistic. Oh, yeah, La Strada. The Sica films, you know. Yeah, and the others. La Strada and, and the, the, the city. Uh, oh, Open City. Open and, City, uh, yeah. And... Uh, uh, the bicycle. Theme. I've been. I've just been translating the poetry of Pier Paolo Pasolini, the filmmaker, mm -hmm. who was a poet and a filmmaker before he was a, f a poet and a novelist before he was a filmmaker, and it's it's kind of the uh, Italian equivalent of uh, Godard. And uh, uh, incidentally, it's interesting. Uh, Pasolini was practically the exact contemporary of uh, the Beats and Allen Ginsberg. He, 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 he was turned on by the beat writers. He said when he read Ginsberg that he had, it had been a long time since he had read any poetry with such a fraternal so feeling. So influence from the beats there. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti is my guest, and it's tonight at the Art Institute at the uh, Poetry Center. It's the Rubloff Auditorium. Tonight at 8 o'clock, you're offering. You'll do what? You'll be reading... And commenting and no doubt answering questions, Yeah, just too. about like this discussion, except yeah. unfortunately I won't have the uh, advantage of having the music piped it'll be, in. But it'll be, well, the music will be in your words. Yeah. It'll be free, easy, and antic. And mm -hmm. antic. Oh, it is free to get in? No, no, <laughs> I don't know. But free and easy in uh -huh. style. And How much does it cost to get in? Six dollars. Six bucks. <laughs> okay. That's tonight, 8 o'clock. After this message, one last lap, and you read whatever you feel like reading uh, from uh, Over the Obscene this Boundaries. This is getting after, after this okay. last message. Resuming for the last chapter, last lap of Lawrence Ferlinghetti. We're looking through this book, and perhaps we'll also have you with some jazz background, too, to end it, an early mm -hmm. poem. But what comes to your mind now? You've been to Milan, to Rome, Paris... There's Amsterdam, you've been traveling about, and now... Well, I'm about ready to go back to the States. And so what... Uh, this is a what late, late, impression, late impressionist dream. All right. This has everything. <laughs> that's, that's a dream. That, that's a dream, and yet there's a reality to it. <laughs> that's the image that Jack Kerouac ends uh, his novel, Big Sur. Uh, we were sitting on the beach in Big Sur by my near my cabin, and... Uh, he asked me, um, what about the, the fish? I said, well, the fish speak Breton. And uh, his family come from Brittany, mm -hmm. uh, Brittany to Canada. He was French-Canadian descent. And so he put that right into the very last phrase of his novel. The There's so many other Breton. poems that could be read. Some are uh, perhaps a little too long for now, but no doubt mm -hmm. you'll do tonight. And I love that. It's very long. That picaresque imbecility, you call it. The fable of the so-long birds. And That's that a has very, everything. Uh, uh, imitation Jacques Prévert poem. Now, Prévert was a songwriter, too, wasn't he? Yeah, but no, no, he wrote uh, poems and the other thought, people made it into songs. I thought, made into songs, that's it. And you have Amsterdam on here, and you have references to Paul Clay, and Horse in Amsterdam after Rembrandt. That sounds a little Chagall-esque. Oh, yeah. But, but there's one, you mentioned your aunt who took you back to Paris. Could, oh, could yeah. That would that have been your Aunt Emily? Yeah, that's Emily. Shall I read that one? Uh, yeah, could you at least, at least part, I know it's a very long one, at least well, part of it to give us an idea of oh, yeah, your aunt kind of and a memory of her. 
Well, it's a really long poem to get but into. But why don't you continue with that? Perhaps we could end the program with this, because in a way it goes back to the beginning. This is circular. Right. You're describing how you returned to Paris, and you were taken away when you were two weeks old by your Aunt Emily, yeah, whom you are this poem thinking ends in about Paris. at this moment. It begins in Bronxville, New York, on, by the Bronx River, and ends in Paris. And so that lovely moving picture of Aunt Emily. That's the way you began, telling about the aunt taking you to Paris when you were two weeks old, and it ends with your remembrance. And it's Lawrence Ferlinghetti, poet. And uh, the collection, most recent collection, all over all the obscene boundaries, New Directions publications. But tonight, more specifically and more contemporaneously, tonight at the Poetry Center at the School of the Art Institute. He's reading and talking and performing, 8 o'clock tonight. And good time, no doubt, will be had by all, and as I had one here for this past hour. Thank um, you very thank much. Thank you.